my makeshift table, so I apologize. I um, need a little table to hold my stuff. Uh, for those of you that weren't here the last time I preached, I sit when I preach because I already talk really fast, and I slow down a lot when I sit down and I'm actually able to catch my breath, so I apologize if it looks a little weird. Uh, my, my excuse is that, you know, Jesus sat some when he talked, so there you go. There's my excuse to, There's my excuse for it. If you want to, go ahead and turn uh, for later, go ahead and turn to John chapter 8, starting in verse 2, and we'll read that in just a minute. But as you, as you guessed it, um, we're talking about grace this morning, the subject of grace and all that grace brings, and we're going to do a deep dive into grace, and uh, I kind of think of it like a, a four-course meal, um, not because, you know, I look like I don't push away plates very often, but um, but because grace is just, it's such a big topic, it's such such a big topic, and we have to take it one bite at a time. We can't just do a quick run through of grace because there's so many levels or layers or courses, if you want to stay with my food analogy here, uh, for grace, and it's something that we can't just can't just break down in one point or one particular things, because there's so many uh, instances of grace, but when preparing for this sermon, I thought about Grandma's house. A lot of times when I write my messages, I think about times with Grandma, because Grandma's one of the people that helped bring me back to Jesus, so a lot of times when I write sermons, I think of Grandma, or I think of stuff of that. Um, I think about meals at Grandma's house, and I think about right as I'm about to take a bite of food, because yes, I'm not perfect, um, right as I'm about to take a bite of food, my Grandma says, now, let's say grace. Don't forget to say grace. Right as it's right on the cusp of being bit into, says, now, don't forget about saying grace. Let's say grace. And when I was writing this sermon, that's what I thought about with Grandma's house, is saying grace. And that's why I'm thinking about this food analogy, this four-course analogy or breakdown of grace, of uh, times at Grandma's house where we would just sit down and we'd have a nice family meal. Our family meals were on Mondays. That's when we went to Grandma's house. We'd mow, we'd mow her grass um, where my mom and my... My stepdad would mow, mow her grass. I would pick up sticks because I got the I got the grunt work. I didn't get to didn't get to drive the fancy lawnmower or do anything like that. I had to go pick up sticks. Um, but I think about all that. I think about eating dinner. I think about cleaning up, wearing our nice shirts or our nice pants after we worked really hard, cleaning up, going down. And I think about that one bite. I always think about it when I think about grace. Man, that one bite. I'm about to bite into it. She still gets me now because sometimes I forget because we're forgetful and I'm very forgetful. It's not that I don't thank God for everything that He's done for me and say grace for my food. It's just sometimes I forget, but now my wife catches me with it because I told her my grandma did. So now my wife catches me. She's like, you better pray. Um, all because I made one joke and now, now it's stuck with me. But when, when going over the topic of grace for the weeks leading up, all I could think about was the idea of a meal. I think about grace itself being complex, something that we really, really need to dive into. And I want to go into our first point, which you see on the screen. What is grace? I think I have three definitions for you on what uh, Webster's, I believe is the dictionary I had for it. Uh, Webster's says this about grace. They give me three definitions. Uh, simple elegance or refined movement. I'm not elegant, so this is not me. I'm not this part of grace. I'm the clumsiest thing you've ever seen. Uh, and I'm not very refined. I'm kind of, you know, kind of not very fancy. But uh, courteous goodwill, okay, that's, that's kind of getting close, um, to do honor or credit to someone or something by one's presence. And that's what Webster's defines grace as. And I wasn't, I wasn't satisfied with these three definitions because we think of the biblical example of grace 
is way more than these three definitions. It's so much more. It's so much more than what just these three minute definitions could give you. I wasn't satisfied. I was, I was kind of aggravated that it was put into such a small, or like, a, like put into a box. When grace is so much more, we see examples of Jesus showing grace. And it's so much more than just these three things. Uh, we, we see Jesus reaching out to the hurting, reaching out to the lost, the brokenhearted. Those three definitions don't, don't really, really do that justice. Um, I'll, say, I'll say this all the time to the students. I hear myself just trying to fix this. I'll say all the time to students and students here now, this is from every ministry I've been into, and this fits with grace, this fits with anything. Grace is a huge thing, but it's not something that you have to do a grand gesture. We don't have to go do a million-dollar fundraiser uh, to help people and show grace. We don't have to do this. It could be as simple as opening a door. It could be as simple as forgiving somebody for something that they've hurt to feel. It, it's a simple thing. It's, but it's also super complex. And that's because of who we are as people. We're imperfect. We live in an imperfect world. We live in a world where it's all about serving self. It's all about getting ahead. It's all about putting ourselves above the, of the people. So that's why I think grace has become so complex because we are not, we are not perfect in nature. Nobody's perfect. The only perfect person is Jesus that's been on this earth. And when I think of that, I think of John 8, 2 through 11, where you're at right now. And let's, let's read that together before I talk anymore, because my words aren't that important. Jesus' words are way more important than anything i got to say. So let's read that. And it says this, At dawn he appeared again in the temple court, where all the people gathered around, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin throw the first stone. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. A powerful example of grace. The law of Moses commanded that such women in that time, or people caught in adultery, people that sinned heavily, the punishment was death. Especially right here in adultery, you see in the law of Moses that a woman condemned to this would be stoned, as they said. Um, but Jesus, Jesus had a different idea. Jesus went a whole different way than what they were doing. Uh, they, they all said, yeah, let's throw the stone. Jesus just said, whoever's without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. Go ahead. Whoever has never sinned, go ahead and throw the first one. Who, you know, I, I, could, I could raise my hand and say, I, I would have walked away. I, I wouldn't have been able to throw a stone. I can raise my hand and say, Chris has never been perfect, so he's going to go ahead and walk away. I don't, I don't have a stone to throw. If anything, somebody should throw a stone at me because I've not, I've not been perfect. Jesus, Jesus did something that was so complex and so different than what the Pharisees expected. The Pharisees, the Pharisees wanted to condemn her to death. It went against everything they saw as right. Everything they saw in the law of Moses is right and correct and what they were trying to test Jesus with. It went against everything. 
It was so different. And did Jesus tell her to keep on sinning because of that grace? No. He encouraged her to turn away from the life of sin. That's grace right there. The difference is, with grace, Jesus saw the woman as she was. Not as the Pharisees or society or gospelers or however you want to fill in the blank, how they labeled her. Jesus saw that lady as she was. Somebody that was trapped in sin, hurting, lost, that needed him and needed salvation. It wasn't that he condoned her behavior. Nobody that walks through that door at the very first time is perfect. I'm going to guarantee you that. When I first came through the door, Jesus found me just like he found this woman. Imperfect, trapped in sin, lost, hurt, and need of just somebody to pick me up and somebody to provide me with that salvation that I've been missing for so long in my life. That's where Jesus saw this woman. Somebody that needed him. Somebody that needed uh, somebody to just pull them out of that situation. And he didn't condone her beliefs. And, you know, I just got to make that clear. That's where I stand, too. Uh, because this isn't one of those uh, feel-good sermons. Um, it's one of those, we're going to see how grace really is. Um, and that, that right there is just a perfect example of God's grace. A perfect example of Jesus' grace. And it's really good to know grace. It's really good to know what it is, have an idea. Because I know what Olympic curling is. I don't understand it. And that leads into our next point. Do we understand grace? Do we understand what grace is? Because we can know something. Like, I can know that they do the little squeegee things with the rocks and it doesn't make any sense to me um, because I don't understand it. I know what they do. I know what you need to do it, but I don't understand how to do it. So the same thing with grace. I want, to, I want you all to mull over that question. Do we understand grace? Do I understand grace as we talk about it? Um, like I said, it's one thing to know something. It's one thing to really understand it. Um, I remember growing up... Uh, I finally did get to handle the weed eater in a lawnmower business that I was a part of with our minister at our church. Um, and I'd seen him do it multiple times. I felt like I knew how you were supposed to do it, but I didn't understand it. And I broke the weed eater the first time I ever used it because I didn't understand it. I didn't ask questions. I didn't really actually understand what I was doing. I broke his weed eater. I broke a $200 weed eater that I had to go earn back every week. I had to mow more and not get paid because I broke that weed eater. And that taught me something. That before I do something or before I talk about something, I need to understand what it is and what it, how it works. And that's the same thing with grace. Before I share about grace, before I talk about grace, I really need to understand what grace is in this second course of our little uh, meal here. We start out with our appetizer, what, knowing what grace is. But now we want to understand grace. We want to see it. And I want to do that with two examples here. I'm a big fan of mirroring, mirroring sorry, I can't talk, mirroring Old Testament te- Scripture with New Testament Scripture to see how it pans out because it's, it is a story. It is a love story from God, but it mirrors. You see things. And I want to start in a book, Isaiah. I'm pretty sure everybody here has read Isaiah at some point or another. Isaiah is known as the book of Messianic prophecy, if you've ever heard that before. Or I might, you might be like, what are you talking about, Chris? Basically, it's prophecies of the coming Messiah. You read later in Isaiah, you read a lot of stuff, and you look at Jesus' life, and you're like, hey, who did that? Wait. This, this doesn't make sense. Isaiah was written like 700 years before Jesus even came. How does he know this? It's a book of Messianic prophecy. So I want to read to you Isaiah 42, 2 through 3, if you want to get there real quick. And we'll read that. And then, then we'll go to Luke 14 after that. Tell you what, everywhere else in this room is cool, but look, sitting right here is like you're sitting on, sitting on a boil. 
It's always different right here. Like right here, it's just the hottest place on earth. I'll tell you what. I could be in the middle of Sahara and I'd probably be cooler than I am right here. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I'm sorry. I make a lot of jokes when I talk, so I'm sorry. But um, I'm going to go ahead and read that passage of Isaiah for y'all if y'all want to get there and read it. Um, and it says this in 2 through 3. He will not cry out or raise his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. Justice. In Luke 14, I'll go ahead and read that. You don't, you don't have to turn all the way there for just two or three verses. I'll go ahead and read that for you. Uh, in Luke 14, 12 through 14, it says this. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. And that sounds weird, right? Because when we have a cookout, we're supposed to invite our family, our friends, right? That sounds real weird. But if you do, they may invite you back. And so you'll be repaid. But when you have a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of righteousness. So why these verses? Um, well, you might be asking that. Uh, well, you see in the Old Testament a description of who Jesus is. So what to do and what not to do. A description of who Jesus is supposed to be. This is just a description and then we wrap it all up by actually seeing Jesus' words about grace and showing grace to those that are less fortunate, those that are the poor in spirit or the weak in spirit, as they say, and as it's said in Scripture. We see that there. Sorry, lost my point there. Um, but we lean on that. We see that there. We have all the study material on grace, on Jesus, all of it right here. None of, none of this comes from what Chris says. This all just comes from the Bible. We have every bit of study material we could possibly want right here in the palm of our hands. Or if you have it on your phone, because, you know, I, I know we're getting more technologically, technologically advanced in society, so people might not have their Bible, which I encourage you to carry your paper Bible. I encourage the kids to carry their paper Bible because, it, to me, it's easier to navigate than even the phone app. But we live in a time where you can carry the Bible right here in your pocket with your phone. You can carry it right with you. We have all the study material we could possibly ever want on grace right here. And in a book... I'll recommend. This is, this is one of my favorite books. It's called Eat with Sinners, and this is where a lot of my material came for grace. Uh, besides Scripture, a lot of the little, little filler stuff. Um, I love reading his topic with it because he has a chapter on grace, and it was such a wonderful chapter. And, and his name's Aaron Chambers. The book's called Eat with Sinners. Uh, it highlights the, under, highlights the idea of understanding grace from a different approach. Just like Jesus, with the comparison and contrast of Scripture, Chambers brought to light a lack of grace. So, Jesus will be compared to scriptures here. Uh, this is where I really like it because it's a different take on it. Instead of just going to straight the source, let's look at what not to do here. Let's look at what not to do. So, people that should be reflecting on grace, when we understand, when we should, we should be reflecting on it, we should be trying to understand it. People reflecting the, God, the grace God shows us, people in the church have lost an understanding of what grace truly is. People that go out instead of the peace, the joy, and the truth that we find in grace. They distort it. They distort this message of God's grace. They distort what he says about grace and about stuff, and he turns it into a message of hate and sinful behavior. Uh, in the book, and also I remember seeing this in the news as a kid, uh, when, when we had soldiers in Iraq and people would die over in Iraq, and unfortunately they lost their lives serving our country. Um, 
There were people that were at funerals holding signs saying, parents were mourning the loss of their child, mourning the loss of a family member. There are people out there because of, you know, fill in the blank, holding up signs that God hates me. Or you're going to hell. That's my favorite one to see because I know in my heart that I'm not the one to make that judgment call. Because God showed me grace when I deserved hell. I deserved that sign that said, you're going to hell. God showed me grace at a time. And that, that's what grace is. That's what grace is. That, you know, we all deserve hell. Everybody in this room deserves hell, but God shows grace to all of us. Grace is our answer. Salvation is our answer. Because there's nothing we could do. There's not a single thing anyone in this room could do except follow Jesus. That's what grace is. That's truly what grace is. It goes back to that example with Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. That's what grace is. If you don't understand what grace is, that's what grace is. She deserved death, but Jesus showed her grace. He didn't, continue, he didn't encourage her to continue in a life of sin, in a life of debauchery, I guess is a word I could use there. Um, that's a fancy word. I've never used that one in public before. But um, debauchery. Uh, that's a fancier word for not great behavior. But anyways, debauchery. I'm sorry. I make jokes all the time. I'm sorry. But she, he didn't encourage her to live like that. That's what grace is. We all deserve death. We all deserve the penalty of sin, but Jesus shows grace. We all deserve that. There's not one thing that we could do without Jesus. And I'm a hard-headed, stubborn, try-to-do-it-myself kind of person, but I realize now that I understand grace. There's not a thing Chris could do for his own salvation, other than to follow Jesus and lean on Jesus. There's not a thing that I could do. And that's truly understanding grace. That's gaining a deeper understanding, gaining a deeper know-how of what grace is. But, you know, this, 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 whole, this whole idea of distorting grace and all this stuff isn't, a com- isn't like a, a foreign idea. It actually happened in the times of Scripture. Uh, if you turn to Luke 9, 51 through 56, you'll actually see that. Um, so I'll give you all a second to get there. Let's try and get it there. When you all get there, just follow along with me. It says this in verse 51, and I'll read. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? Jesus turned to them and rebuked them. And then he, then he and his disciples went to another village. So, to, to make that in today's terms, um, because we see right there, people that were following Jesus, people that had the source right there. That it is even our time where we have the Bible right here. We, he had, they had Jesus right in front of them. They had the ultimate example of grace right in front of them, following him every day once they chose to follow him. But they didn't get it. And that makes me feel a little, about, a little better about myself. People right there with them didn't get the concept of it. And to relate it to us, that's like, uh, that's like me going to a restaurant after church and because the, the waitress or waiter wasn't very polite to me, 
I go out and pray to God and say, "Hey God, I, I want you to I want you just to drop fire down on this restaurant because they weren't Chick Fil A Chick Fil A levels of polite to me when they took my order." Uh, that's like me calling down fire from heaven or asking God to call down fire from heaven to burn a restaurant just because they weren't polite to me. See, see? yeah, it wouldn't work um, because first off, it's a selfish prayer, um, but. We don't know what those people are going through. I think about it all the time. At, the, at my previous ministry, there was an elder there named Steve. Um, and he's, he's a great guy. We still talk all the time. He's a great, great example of living out grace and living out, living out a life fully dedicated to Jesus. And he's, he's a guy that I call when I'm struggling and need some prayer, uh, just as an accountability partner kind of deal. Um, he told me this one day. We went out to eat, and I mean, the, the waitress was... She was in a bad mood. To, to put it as an understatement, she was in a bad mood. And first we went to Waffle House. And if y'all have ever been to a Waffle House, normally things tend to happen at a Waffle House. People get attitudes at Waffle House. Um, I love Waffle House to death. It's one of my favorite places to go. But I've ran into some rude service at Waffle House. But I don't know what these people are going through. And Steve said this. You don't know how bad of a morning that lady had. He still gave her a $15 tip because he didn't know how bad her day was. And he always leaves a message. And it's not about the money. It's about the message. He said, I want to leave you a message. He said, he said, I hope you have a good day, praying that you have a great rest of your shift and a great week. Instead of getting mad at that young lady, because she was pretty rude to him, he smiled through all of it, and he just said, you don't know what she's been through. You don't know what these people have been through. It's the same with us. Like We get mad because our Amazon package is a day late when we pay for that like two, one night, overnight or two-day shipping. Or we get mad, like with the waitress, with that young lady or young man that's taken our order. They might have had a rough day. We get mad because they're, they're not the level of politeness we think they should be. And no, I'm not saying everybody has to give a $20 tip to somebody that's having a bad day. But we should be examples of grace and encouragement in our daily lives. And that's where we show a little grace. Because I'm going to tell you what, I worked in the fast food industry as a teenager. The rudest and meanest people to me, and get ready for this, were people after Sunday coming from church. They were the rudest to me. And I'm not saying people here, because I love all y'all. But, um, and I, I don't want to be chased out of here with pitchforks and torches. Um, but, 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 yeah, show me a little grace for that one. Show me a little grace. But, that's, that's what grace is. That's what grace is, is showing that example. And I think of those examples, and I share a lot of stories about my life and people that I'm with and stuff like that, because that's, that's, that's how I see grace. I see grace in day-to-day examples of things. And that, that's one that I think about all the time, is that we should have a little more grace for people that, in the service injury, industry especially, because I bring into a rude waiter or waitress, but we don't know what they've been through. We don't know what that person at Walmart that cut us off with their grocery card, or, you know, this is them. Let's just show them a little grace. We can always walk it off. It ain't going to take us so long just to go the other way, right? Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek when somebody offends us. So why don't we just go the other way with our grocery cart? Somebody cuts us off or says something mean. We don't have to encourage that behavior. We can be examples of grace and forgiveness in our day-to-day walk. Probably having a rough day. Walk off. And this would come from somebody that had a really bad temper before we met Jesus. Jesus has humbled me and taught me a lot of things, especially with grace. Uh, that I should have a little more grace for the people that I run into in my day-to-day walk. So, with that being said, we're going to get to our third point. Now that we know it, now that we understand it, let's get to our third point. Uh, grace, grace in itself is not uniform. Grace is a mess. It is not something that looks the same. It's not something that's uniform. It's not something that we think, you know, we have a gl- that looks exactly the same for each and every person. I 
think about Grandma's house again with this one um, because I played ball growing up. Um, you know, and you, you play ball, you play football, baseball, soccer. Um, you get dirty. You get nasty. And I'll come hunt, or I'll go to Grandma's house when I got my license. I go to Grandma's house right after practice on a Monday afternoon. I'd just go straight from practice. I wouldn't have anything to change into. I'd be sweaty. I'd be gross. If I was playing baseball, I was covered in dirt because I was a catcher, so I was always in the dirt. I was always moving around. Um, or if I was in football, I was I was a fullback and I was a linebacker, so I had grass stains everywhere. Um, just giving you the picture, I I was I was not clean when I came into Grandma's house for those meals once I started playing sports in high school. I was I was filthy. And Grandma says that all the time. And I wish she was here. She was here the last time I preached the sermon, and she said Amen really loud. And, it embarrassed me, but now looking back on it, it was kind of funny. But the same thing with same thing with grace. Grace is a mess. People come to us. Just picture that. People come to us battered, bruised, dirty, sin from the sin that's in the world. They come to us like that, battered and bruised and dirty. And I use my sports playing as an example because I came with strawberries or cuts or scrapes or. Uh, grass stains, dirt stains, everything. I came into the house absolutely filthy. My hair looked crazy because I was wearing a hat or a helmet. The same thing is true with the church, with grace. People are going to come in that door. And it happened the last time I preached. Actually, a guy came right through the door and needed some help. And uh, to put him on the spot, Mr. Mr. John went and helped him out and gave him a ride and all that stuff. But people are going to come through the door looking however. Uh, there isn't an etiquette class that people take before they come to church. Grace and people that need grace. Being in that, being in that grace, is in the mess of things. It finds us at our absolute worst. Um, speaking from experience, I struggled with drugs and alcohol, and Jesus found me in an absolute mess. He found me in an absolute mess of my life. He found me at rock bottom, hurting, not knowing where to go. Jesus found me there. My grandma, she's my saving grace. I talk about her all the time. My grandma got me back into church. She got me back involved with things. My grandma showed me grace because she could have just smacked me across the back of the head and called me stupid. But no, when I came to her and hit, hit that point, I just remember my grandma hugged me. She said, I love you. I'm proud of you for coming to me. She didn't accept what I did. She said, I'm not proud of what you did, but I'm proud you came to me. My grandma showed me grace. If I think about grace, I think about grandma because I, to put it, put it plainly, and I don't like using this word because I tell the kids it's a bad word, um, but I'm going to use dumb instead of stupid. I was dumb. I was dumb. Um, I know stupid's not a bad word for a lot of people, but, you know, it's not a polite word. Um, but I was dumb. I wasn't very smart. Grandma. Grandma showed me Jesus in the mess of things. My minister, my mentor, showed me grace during the mess of things. They found me in the mess. They didn't find me perfectly ready to go in my Sunday best. They found me uh, tears, just getting off, I'm trying to think of a way to say it, just coming off of where I'd been, or trying to crawl my way out of rock bottom, whichever way you want to say it. But they didn't find me in a perfect condition. The same thing is true with the people that will come through this door. There's not going to be everybody that comes in ready in their Sunday best. Or with their Sunday vernacular, where some people might speak a little more coarsely. We have to be ready for that, folks. We have to be ready to show grace in the mess of things. When people come in an absolute mess, we have to be ready to show grace. Yes, it's going to look a little different. It's going to be a little tough. But we have to show grace in the mess of things. There are people that need it. God knows I needed it. I needed a little grace. And I remember that talk with my grandma to this day. And I'm so thankful I had my grandma. I'm so thankful I had my preacher. Because I don't know where I'd have been without him. I don't know where I'd have been without grace. Without God's grace. And I'm thankful every day that somebody found me in the mess. There's a lot of people caught in the mess right now. 
that's a lot of people caught in a mess in life. Reach out. I give you my grandma's example. My grandma's not perfect. She'll be just like me. She'll be the first one to say, I'm not perfect. I'm just Laquita. Um, so, use that example. If somebody comes to you, I know it's easy to smack them across the back of the head and say, what are you doing? But if they come to you, they really want to talk. Say, hey, I'm proud of you for coming to me. I'm not proud of what you're doing. Follow that example of Jesus. Accept people how they are. Encourage them to turn from the life of sin. That example is the example my grandma shows me. And I use her a lot. I know it's annoying me talking about my grandma. I'm a grandma's boy. I'll admit it. I love my grandma to death, especially for this, because of where she found me in that mess and took me out. Because I don't know where I'd be today without her or the people that came into my life after that because of her her ministering to me. If you will, turn to Luke chapter 10. We're already in 9, so if you've still got your Bible open, uh, we're going to be in 10. And we used this in my last sermon. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, last time I talked about it with service, but I think this parable offers a lot more than just serving people. And I want to read it one more time with you guys. And it says this. I'll go ahead and start reading as far. Sorry, I lost my place. There you go. See, I said I'm not perfect. I lost my place. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go, but to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan. And I made this analogy. Jewish people and Samaritan people did not get along. They were, they were, not, they were not on speaking terms, as Grandma says. Um, as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and he saw him, and he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, bringing him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, Jesus said go and do likewise. So I don't know if y'all know, but two denarii is two days wages. That's two days worth of work that he just gave up for this man he didn't even know. He found a man, like I said, in the mess of things. I mean, you can't get much worse than being beat half dead, laying there, robbed, robbed blind. I mean, like, you can't get much worse than that. I mean, that sounds like a pretty rough experience right there. I don't think I want to go through it. But the, the, the guy that was supposed to hate him, the guy that was supposed to be like the priest or the Levite was supposed to walk away, respecting the Levite or the priest to be the one to do all this. But no, the Samaritan, the one that was least likely to show grace to this man, did the least likely to show mercy to this man did. The least likely to fill in the blank. The least likely to do all this showed this man a little mercy and a little grace. And, I mean, he went above and beyond. 
He went the extra mile, as we're called to do in Scripture. He went the extra mile. He took out two days' wages. He said, I'll cover any other expense. If that ain't grace, if that ain't love, I, I don't know what it is. If that ain't love for your fellow man, I don't know what it is. Sorry, I'm getting my nose. But this is grace. Uh, it's not something we can do in a random hour on an afternoon when we just feel like being nice. It's something that could happen 24-7. Somebody could call you in the middle of the night that needs help. Uh, it could be uh, having to go the extra mile to serve that person in the community, having to go the extra mile for that person uh, that's hurting or struggling. It's not something that can be done in an afternoon. And it requires us to get our hands dirty. It requires us to actually be proactive. And that's why I bring up that example of being filthy when I come, because it's going to require us to get our hands dirty. We're supposed to work. We're supposed to do work. Now, it's our faith that saves us, but our faith should encourage us to show grace and work with other people. Our faith should drive us to want to go out and serve other people and want to show grace to other people like God showed us a little grace with Jesus. Actually, he showed us a lot of grace. I'm underplaying that. He showed us a lot of grace with Jesus. Grace isn't going to be an easy task because people are rude, as I've said. They say hurtful things. Make poor choices. Me. I'll say I can put my name in front of all these and it just fits. And... Chris can be the worst sometimes, but sometimes people can just be the worst. They can be, they can just be the worst. But we have to be willing to meet people in the mess. We have to be willing to get our hands dirty. We have to be willing to go the extra mile for these folks. Just like we see the Samaritan went the extra mile. And I'm not saying you have to go give two days wages, but man, just reach out to that person you know struggling or hurting. A phone call or text doesn't cost you a thing. I mean, other than your phone bill, but you know, that's not important. But, you know, phone call or text doesn't cost you a thing or a note, a nice note. Or going out raking somebody's yard that's mourning or somebody that's hurting. I mean, it doesn't cost you a thing. It just costs you time. And I know that's a valuable resource. We all we all feel like we can't give up our time. But let's use our time. It's a valuable resource. Let's use our time to show people grace. And that brings me to our conclusion, our, our take home, um, that grace requires action. Everything that Jesus teaches requires action, but especially grace. It requires a lot of action on our part. It requires us to follow the example He sets in Scripture for us. It requires action. It requires us to do something. We can't just come in on a Sunday morning and that be that be the extent of grace or the extent of action that we do. It's a 24-7 thing. It ain't just a, a Jason and Chris thing. That's a, because I, one of my biggest pet peeves that in my first ministry uh, somebody told me that that was a preacher thing. That was the preacher's job. That was the minister's job. I'm like, no, it sure ain't. You know, we're called to do certain things, but this is a church job. This is an everybody's job. Showing grace is a church job. It's not just a Jason and Chris thing. It's not just a, a Stephanie thing. It's not just that. It is a it is a every single person in this room is called to show grace and mercy to people around us and love the people around us. Every single person in this room. Every single person out there that is a believer is called. Not just a preacher thing. That's my biggest pet peeve. If you want to know something that annoyed Chris, you, you tell me, oh, that's a preacher's thing. Oh, it gets me. Especially if it's something that everybody gets. That, that's the one thing. I don't get mad about a whole lot, but that's one I actually really get mad about. Um, but it requires action. And I want to just read a short little passage with you. I think we all know this one. It's in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And it says this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them, go, told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in earth and on heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey 
everything I've commanded to you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's my challenge to y'all. It's simple. Get up and go out. It's more than just a Sunday morning thing. That's everything that we talk about here on these Sunday mornings. It's more than a Sunday morning thing. It's a, it's a Sunday through Saturday thing. It's a 24-7, every day of the week kind of thing. It's, it's not just here. It's not just Thursdays at youth group for our kids. It's not just children's church. It's not just, it's an every day of the week thing. From little ones all the way to grown-ups. From birth all the way to the end of life. It is an every person thing. And we raise our little ones to see this and raise our little ones to follow this behavior so they can continue and they live on. So I encourage you, get up and go out. Show some grace today. It's a real easy one. We all go to lunch after church. Most of us go out to lunch after church. Um, if you don't, then maybe the next time you go out, if you see that waitress or waiter having a tough day, be that encouraging person. Be nice to them. Even if, even if they're a little, little stoic and a little cold coming back, they probably had a rough day or they probably don't want to be there. Be that encouraging person. Be that grace. There's an there's a easy one right there because we all like to eat. I know I do. I mean, so you see my gut and you know I like to eat. Um, but be that, be, be that symbol of grace. Be that person that reflects the grace that Jesus has shown every single one of us. And that's our challenge for today. He doesn't call us to sit down. He calls us to go out. So I encourage you, get up from here and go out and practice it today. I want to pray with you guys, and then we'll, we'll have communion and offering after that. So if you'll join me in prayer, I would appreciate it. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for today, and thank you for our time here, Lord. I thank you for your grace that you show each and every one of us, and your son Jesus that you sent for us. Uh, I just pray right now that we, we take what we've heard this morning, and your word, and we just go, and we go out and show grace and be extensive. We get up and go out and go make disciples showing grace as we walk in this town in our community. And I just thank you so much for your son, and it's in his name I pray. Amen.